Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, the son of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. My eyes are getting older. The high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. <clears throat> then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joas, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. What is the speed of life? Well, that depends on all that you have tried to cram into your life. There is so many variables that dictate the speed of and pacing of your life, uh, and it's impacted. And so taking time to meditate and reflect upon the experiences that you have had over even a week is critical to your mental health. I don't know if you realize that. But taking time in a Sabbath rest is actually God's gift to you to help you process all that you have gone through in a week's time. Uh, it is an important part of our worship and also a gift to rehabilitate our flagging energies. Uh, you know, we can go through a solid week of doing small business and education, family responsibilities, preparing for all kinds of events, and and we can we can be lost. And yet, taking time on a on a Sunday can appear to be counterproductive because. After all, it's an interruption, like a little speed bump. But that little speed bump is so essential, and it's a gift for you to be able to help process the things you're experiencing and to think in terms of what God is doing in your life to help you then go into another week. Don't look down upon the, the gifts that God gives to us. And the speed of life is so fast, we can become so overwhelmed. And we need that time and I use this as somewhat as an opening illustration because when you come to a text like this, it's, it's really written in a style that's like a Sabbath rest. It's intended to slow us down, to contemplate what just happened, what, what just occurred that moved people from inaction to action in such a short period of time. Um, if we were to consider the, the chronological markings in this chapter, we, we learn that, that Haggai received a message on the very first day of the sixth month of the second year of King Darius's reign. In this text, we learn that they pick up implements of construction within just over three weeks. And they start, they gather at the site where the temple is going to be built. And they start working and getting it. It's incredible. It's incredible that within three weeks, they went from 
nah, it's not the right time to build the Lord's house to we've got to do this now. What happened in those three weeks and what occurred that created this renewal, this, this change of spirit and outlook? It's incredible. And we might be tempted to skip this paragraph. I mean, couldn't Haggai have just said, they all went to work? I mean, I think we could probably write a very moving news column and do a better job, so to speak, and keep people's attention. But he's on purpose. He's, he's deliberately slowing us down to contemplate what, what went into this renewal. What is it that took place? And this is instrumental for us as believers. We ought to take note of the ingredients that went into making renewal a reality in the life of the people in Judah. There's profound spiritual implication for us as believers today if we consider the ingredients and then the fruit that came out of those ingredients coming together and the birth of renewal in their lives. And so this morning, we're kind of like slowing down, reflecting on, and that's a spiritual discipline, Important to meditate. Scripture is filled with the encouragement to meditate and slow down. And so this morning, I'll try to keep my pace going as we, though, work through this this, uh, slowing down and considering of this text. And so we're going to look in verses 12 to 13 at the essential ingredients of renewal that manifest themselves in the description that Haggai gives to us. And the first element here we see in verse 12 is the essential element of unity, of unity. So in verse 12, we read those long names, and then we come to uh, a word called, it's more simple, it's the word all, okay? He says, then the word, then Zerubbabel and Joshua, with all the remnant of the people. They obeyed. They all came together. That word all is important because down in verse 14, it's repeated again in the midst of the action of the Spirit. And it's the, all, the Spirit came and stirred up all of the remnants. Who are all these people? We haven't really considered some of the names here in any real meaningful way to this point. Somewhat of intentional neglect on my part, because I knew that we would probably would be forced to consider them later in the book. But Zerubbabel is a descendant of Jesus, or an ancestor, rather, of Jesus. Caught that, Eric. Thank you for catching me on that. Zerubbabel was an ancestor of Jesus. His grandfather was King Jehoiakim, who had been deposed by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, before the exile came in, removed him and set up one of his sons as a puppet ruler, took Jehoiakim back to to Babylon, put him in chains, Zerubbabel, being a son, served as governor upon the return. He had a rightful line and a rightful 
privilege to be in the position that he was in. He could have taken David's crown and put it on his head legitimately. He had a place. Joshua here is the son of the high priest. His uncle is maybe perhaps a little bit more, more familiar of a name. His uncle was Ezra, Ezra the scribe, who, who helped motivate, again, return and learn how to purify themselves to properly put the temple together and, and do all the sacrifices again. But there are others here who are called the remnant. We know the name, we know the term remnant from carpeting. A remnant carpet is sometimes picked up. It's leftover piece, right? Have you ever used a, got a remnant for a spare room? You just, uh, you didn't want to get it all, you didn't want to put the expense of, you know, filling out your whole house with the same carpet again. You get a remnant, you get a piece that, that you don't have to pay as much for. But it's a good description because it, it, it describes well the, the people here. They're the remnant who survived the catastrophic judgment when Nebuchadnezzar burned the city down. This remnant of people are those who came out of exile. It's also the people who were left in the land. It's a mixed group with two different cultures. The people who lived their lives in Babylon are like, they're like immigrants again, coming back to the land. And there's the potential that the people who stuck through and were there long term can have a different viewpoint of these people coming back into the land. And it's important for us to pause and reflect here that this is, this is a significant coming together of people of different cultures, different backgrounds now, and claiming a unity. A unity in what? A unity in who? A unity in God. Unity is a very rare word in the Bible, but the thought is pervasive through scriptures. One particular passage I think we might all think of when we think of unity is Psalm 133, in which uh, the psalmist says, Behold how good and beautiful it is for brothers when they dwell in unity. It is a beautiful thing. But unity is not one of those merely goodwill or common interest type words. It's, it's for Christians, unity does something significantly deeper. It causes us to move beyond all of the diverse backgrounds that we have and to, to submit all of those things to the greater purpose of coming together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ the middle wall of separation that divides ethnic groups and genders and, and those who may be free and those who are slave, male or female, it's all broken down. Jesus brings all sinners to a place of unity. And unity is an important ingredient for renewal. You may not know this, but when Abby and I came here about a decade ago, there were three churches underneath of one roof. A partisanship existed that sounded like the church in Corinth. I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos. 
I wasn't aware of some of the things when I came in here. But disunity is caused by a fundamental dis, you know, a misunderstanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one is wise enough to be able to claim a superior position within the body of Christ. The free grace of God is intended to humble the heart, to cause us to reflect upon our personal standing, that it is of grace alone that we have any standing before the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what creates a unified body for the glory of God. And I believe the tabernacle is at a critical juncture. We have a remnant of people, so to speak, a remnant of people, of those who can remember the past and those who are new and have no reflection upon the past. We're in a good place, yet a vulnerable place, where if we don't commit ourselves anew to the glory of Christ alone, we may not be able to have the renewal that we would hope for. It's really important for us to subsume our own personal pride for the glory of God alone. Unity is a critical, a critical ingredient for renewal. Second ingredient that I see in this text is the word obedience. Obedience. Verse 12. Verse 12, they heard the message and notice that not just the remnant obeyed, but it was Everyone obeyed, the leaders too. The leaders were actively involved in this obedience. The whole of biblical theology centers on the notion of divine revelation and the need to respond in obedience. In other words, God speaks, and we're expected to do, we're to hear, we're required to obey. And the connection between hearing and obeying is so essential that it's so often overlooked. It is so often overlooked. It's a necessary part of being a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus, at the Sermon on the Mount, he contrasted the foolish man and the wise man. And he said that if anyone would be my disciple, they ought to have a foundation like the one who hears his words and does them. He's like a, a wise man who, who, who prepares a foundation that's solid so that when the waves and the, the pressures of life collide upon the person, they're able to stand. Hearing and doing. Renewal requires obedience to what we've heard from the Lord Jesus Christ. We must do what he has commanded us to do. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? We cannot claim to be a born-again believer and refuse to carry out the commands he's called us to do. We can't. It's incongruous. It doesn't make sense. It's, it collides with reality. I know we get frustrated, don't we, when we see uh, hypocrisy coming from leadership, in Washington, does it not bother us or any sphere of life when we say, well, that doesn't make sense. It's, it doesn't connect with reality. 
Well, we ought to be careful that as we proclaim with our mouths that we are Christians, we're not complicit in the same corruption that we see around us. We need to let our yes be yes and our, our no be no, and we need to follow Christ with all of our being. But I know that sometimes what we hear is not always what we think we hear. Much of the preaching I encountered growing up emphasized active obedience. However, they did not always at times make the connection between faith and obedience. What do I mean by that? Well, obedience can become a very cold dedication to the letter of the law and not really the spirit and hearing the spirit behind the commandments. You know, what you hear depends upon the object of your faith. Some people because the object of their faith is themselves, when they hear a preacher speak from the pulpit, they interpret what they hear as it references to themselves. But because they're looking inward, they're not able to really hear. They're not outwardly looking at Christ in faith and wanting to hear what he has communicated. Now, just give me an example that I think we can all probably relate to scripturally. You know, Christ's command, judge not that you be not judged, is something that is often interpreted self-referentially. And so many people will let themselves off the hook in terms of speaking truth because their, their outlook is towards themselves and their self-preservation. They take a scripture like that and they will say, well, I can't speak to that. The Bible says, judge not that we be not judged. And what they're doing is they're not hearing the command from the spirit who speaks, who also gave other commands within the context of even the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount says that if you have an offense against a brother, you are to go to that brother directly and let him know about that offense. And so we can hear scriptures, and because we're inwardly looking with our eyes at ourselves, we're not properly hearing the scriptures, and then we're not obedient to the scriptures. If Christ is the object of my faith, then yes, I will humble myself under the holiness of God, and I will examine my heart first, but then I will go to my brother, and I will find out how I have offended them, and if they have anything against me, then I will, I will seek for the welfare of that relationship. I will make that a priority. That's, those are doing hard things, folks. But we will never experience the blessing of relief and fellowship with God if we sub, subsume responsibility as a Christian. And so union of faith and obedience is essential it's an essential component of renewal. We have to outwardly look at God and want what he wants, not what I want. 
Because whatever we want tends to be our own comfort, our own preferences, and that's not what God calls disciples to do. A third component this morning. See how slow we're going on this? But we're pausing to reflect. These are, these are critical elements that, that had to occur in order for them to get over the inertia of the, and move to build the temple. Respect is another element here. Verse 12. Respect. Please notice that uh, the people responded to, it says, the words of Haggai the prophet. Responded to the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. There was a respect for the one who brought the word of God to them. They didn't shut him down and say, eh, I don't like you. I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. But they respected the communication and the one who brought them the word of God. It's an essential and necessary element of renewal. Elders and teachers are God's gift to you, folks. They are God's gift to help make plain the, the deep truths of the Lord that are in Scripture to help you to make sense of, of what you're taking in. And our human tendency is to find teachers, though, who tell us what we want to hear. Respect for those who teach you about Jesus is an essential component of renewal. It's also important for not just yourself as an individual, but also for a church body. And I thank the Lord that we do have a plurality of elders and teachers here in this body to be able to safeguard the truth so it's not all coming from one individual. Thankfully, God has given this as a gift for us as believers. But respect is often earned, though, through a validation of character. But, you know, there are some people who, who never seem to be able to trust but because they are never able to trust, they're never able to grow. I know that spiritual malpractice exists. I know it happens. And sometimes pastors make mistakes, and I know it does. I've been the recipient of those experiences myself. However, our confidence ought not to be ultimately in the fallibility of our leaders. It has to be ultimately in Jesus Christ, the head of his church. But we do need leaders to imitate. Yes, we do. I think it's important that rather than sitting on the sideline, it would be best to find leaders whom we can trust and ultimately follow them. Whether that's here at this church or it's at another church, it's necessary not just to leave one church, go to another church, and sit on the sidelines for the rest of your Christian life. You need to invest yourself in following spiritual leaders. Renewal occurs. It's an essential element of our following of the greater shepherd. He has put lesser shepherds to help us and lead us. A fourth component here that I want to share from this text, it's also from verse 12, is that there has to be a holy fear 
a holy fear. In verse 12, we see this short little sentence. It's almost like added on at the end, but it's, if, if we don't pause on it, we'll miss the import. It says, and the people feared the Lord. The people feared the Lord. A healthy fear of God heightens the urgency for obedience to his commands. Fear of fire is healthy. I mean, the sound, the heat, the brightness encourages us to kind of cover ourselves and to walk away, right? I thank God for men who will brave and go into infernos to to rescue people. That's, That's a tremendous blessing to any society to have people like that. But firefighters have a healthy fear of fire. They take it seriously. And you know, we ought to be taking seriously that God, our God, is a consuming fire. And the remnant, the remnant, the people who were left, knew God's consuming power, his justice, and his judgments. They had witnessed Babylon come in under the authority of God Almighty and raise the city, level it, destroy it. They saw a holy God who would not put up with the sin that they dismissed so easily. You know, as we gaze upon the holiness of God and his attention to punish sin, we ought to be, we ought to be recognizing that decline occurs when churches cover their ears and they reject the messengers and the word of God that he sends. There were some older men who, who, who witnessed the original glory of Solomon's temple. They also remembered false prophets who came in and said, surely God's not going to destroy this place. I mean, this is, his, this is, this is Solomon's temple. Look how beautiful this temple is. Surely God won't destroy this place. And other false prophets came in and said, peace, 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 when there was no peace. They misread the signs of their time. Earlier I mentioned the lack of unity. And in times gone by, there was often a, lot, a lack of respect and a holy fear for God's word. When God's word was made plain at times, there was a deep-seated anger that surfaced. And much of the pain that we have experienced at the tabernacle came about because we didn't have a healthy sense of God and a fear for him. And renewal doesn't take place unless God's holiness is taken seriously. We don't take seriously the implications of slander and gossip. and We can brush those sins away and say, well, they're nothing. They're not really big, but they destroy and God will destroy a church if we don't take care and consider his holiness. And taking God's consuming holiness seriously, ironically, is actually how we avoid the consuming fire. We 
We, we, we adopt a model like the men who were thrown into the fiery furnace. It doesn't matter, O king, what you will do to us. But we will obey God. And with that attitude, they were spared from the flame, right? They were spared from the flame. Because they took God's holiness seriously. There are so many Christians, there's so many evangelicals today who do not take seriously the holiness of God and organize themselves against apostasy. They become complicit with the spirit of the age. A fifth, a fifth element here that's necessary is this in verse 13. Um, we moved from verse 12. I just wanted to point that out. We went one more verse verse 13. It says, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to his people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the last ingredient here, in which has to be present, is the presence of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord has to be with his people. It has to be. Otherwise, nothing, nothing can be accomplished. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Moses knew this to be true. Moses came down from the mountain with the, with the commandments and he saw all the wickedness that was going on and he, he heard from from God's lips, I'm not going to go into the land with you. If I go with you, I will destroy you. And Moses talked back to God and said, if you don't go with us, then we will be just like the other nations. If you don't go with us and your presence is not with us, we will essentially be like a country club. In a more modern context, we'll be no different than a rotary club. If the Spirit of God doesn't come with us and with the tabernacle, we need God's presence to be with us as we seek Him and His glory. God's Spirit, God's Spirit is so necessary. All of these ingredients are essential, they're important. Talked about unity, obedience, respect, holy fear, Emmanuel, God's presence. These are all essential. And when, when all of these elements are with us and in our thinking and in our culture as a church, there is predictable evidence of renewal. Predictable evidence of renewal. In verse 14 and 15, just the last two verses, highlight, highlight how that life comes, life comes, in action. In verse um, 14, we see a threefold expression that the Lord stirred up. The governor, the Lord stirred up the son of the high priest. The Lord stirred up the remnant of all who were left. I can imagine Haggai as he's penning these words, marveling at the active presence of God. I mean, the Holy Spirit was moving in people's hearts. People got up off of their duff 
And in three weeks, they were out in the woods. There were work crews. Everything was assigned. Everything was coming together. It was, it was happening. The truth of the matter is, Haggai was not willing to take credit for his own preaching of God's word. Literally, what happened, he says here, is that the Lord roused the spirit. Roused. That's literally what that word stir means, or it means to like wake up, to set in motion. It was God's initiative. Without the movement of the spirit to put before our eyes the beauty of the goal, we move towards those things which so easily please our own flesh. Our free will naturally chooses that which appears to be most desirable. You think about this. It's evidently abundantly true. Our will, without any external vision, will satisfy itself with that which is less superior. I mean, I, everyone who has ever tried to diet knows this to be true. Your flesh will choose that Reese cup every single time. Because it can't see the beauty of what's on the other side by saying no. There's something internal that, that, that moves itself in that direction. There's a necessity of the Holy Spirit to do an operation upon the heart, to give us a vision for the glory of God, and to find Him most satisfying. We have to have the movement of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to move us from saying, you know, it's just not time. It's just not time. I, I can't, it doesn't make sense to go and reconcile with that individual. I'll just wait until an opportune time comes. Just like the people who said, it's not a good time to go up and build the house of the Lord. It's the operation of the Holy Spirit to move within the soul, to get you to go where you finally want to go. It's predictable. Life comes through the breath of life. It comes through the Holy Spirit. Life comes, and when it comes to us, action takes place. In verse 15, you see everything coming together. Verse, or at end of verse 14, they, they all came and they worked upon the house of the Lord. The leaders and the people. This is the typical response. This is the typical response that comes when the Holy Spirit moves upon the heart of a person. Talk is cheap, right? Talk is cheap. We know when something has happened, when we see something has happened. That's what the work of the Holy Spirit does. It creates a change of attitude, a change, and it produces within us action to put God first, to serve Him, to reconcile with someone I'm estranged from. John 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. 
so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I mean, you see the wind, but you can't see the wind. You only see the evidence of the wind as it moves through the, the leaves of the tree. Someone recently said to me, you know, I met so-and-so. You know, they're pretty religious. And they're talking to a pastor. This is what they said. They told me they were born again. And I don't even know what that means. So I had the joy of telling them what that means. To be born again means you've got new life from God breathing through you. Bringing you to life. So that your actions now reflect reality of God sitting upon the throne and ruling with Christ at his right hand. You know, the Old Testament world, people didn't experience the permanent indwelling as we have been so blessed with after Pentecost. Now, the effects were similar. So, so when God breathed here, people were filled and their attitudes changed and they were ready to take off and go. But we have the blessing of having the Holy Spirit take residence within us, but it is possible to grieve the Spirit who dwells within us. Prior to the Spirit's movement upon their hearts, they were so blinded to God and time and season, they couldn't read the time correctly. They thought the timing was not good to to start construction of the Lord's temple, but they had time to, to go and fix up their own houses. That's blindness. They were blinded by their selfish interest. But when they turned and the Spirit blew, they were ready to do what God wanted them to do. It's a good time. It's a really good time to reflect on what God has done in the past. How has he been working in your life? It's good to consider our ways, but it's also good to consider God's ways. The prophet came to the people and said, you know, consider your ways. It's not going so well. Why might that be? Is it because you've not considered God's ways? What is it that God wants in your life? But we see the beauty and the joy of what occurred. We see in this, like, a project completed. We see people active. This is the result of responding to the voice of the Holy Spirit, responding and moving and putting together all of these ingredients so that renewal might take place. The evidence that we have been renewed is our ongoing responsiveness to the Holy Spirit. This is the big idea. I've left it to the end. That renewal comes in response to the Holy Spirit. This is always have how it's been. There's never been a time where people just willed themselves into obedience to Christ. The Spirit comes, convicts the heart of sin, a response comes, and renewal begins to take place. Slowing down 
is helpful. Taking the time to reflect and to consider God's ways might be beneficial for the outcomes of your own ways. Some questions to ask of ourselves as we close. Are my attitudes and actions contributing to unity within this assembly? If they're not contributing to unity, where, where, where might your heart be? Am I wanting to obey the commands of Jesus? Like, do I want to obey Christ? Am I, committing, am I committing myself to love my enemies as I ought to? Am I listening respectfully to the elders who teach and preach God's word, even if it's not something I readily enjoy? Am I listening with respect, or am I shutting down and turning off? Am I too casual with the big guy upstairs? Do I just let stuff come out of my mouth? Is it because I, I can't visualize the holiness of God? Am I aware of God's presence in my life, giving me those little victories over sin? Am I aware of that? Am I responding to the Holy Spirit as a Christian should? These are all important questions that reflect the essential elements of renewal. I love this church, and I love the fact that I get to preach to it. I also have to let you know that I also need renewal. I, as a leader, need renewal as much as all of us need renewal. I also need to be responsive to the Holy Spirit as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for time to reflect and slow down and reconsider some of the